you would turn in Genesis to going to start at the end of chapter 4, and I will introduce my tag team sermon preacher in a moment, but first we're going to read from God's Word. Now, if you are under the age of 16 in here this morning, I want you to help me as we read this. I want you to be listening. When we get into chapter 5, there's going to be a whole lot. This is what we call a genealogy. So it's so-and-so fathered so-and-so, and they live, they, you know. As that list goes through in the, in the bulk of chapter 5, I want you to listen. There's going to be something said about one of these men that is different than the others. One of these men is not like the others. Um, so listen, and if you're under the age of 16, only you are allowed to answer my question, which one of these men is different? So be watching, okay? So this is the word of the God who loves you. Um, if you're able, stand, and we'll read the God's who You relax. <laughs> All right, I'm going to start in chapter 4, verse 25, the very end. Um, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed me, uh, appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also uh, a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Chapter 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. And he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived, after he fathered Enosh, 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived, after he fathered Kenan, 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God, and after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters, Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. 
When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived, and he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, my young friends, who, who was different in that whole list? Enoch. And here's the second quiz. What was said differently about Enoch than the rest of them? Way back there, Connor. Right. Good job. Instead of saying he died, it said God took him. So, please be seated and we'll pray. Father, thank you for this word. Strange as genealogies are, you included it in your word for a reason. And help us to see that today and to see Jesus, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you see this picture that's up on the screen? Who's, who's the guy on the left? Any, any guesses? Somebody pointed at me, and you're correct. I know what's throwing you off is the hair. Um, that's me when I was about 17 uh, at Calvary Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I grew up, and I was part of the Calvary Players Drama Team, and we did programs and shows for our church. Anybody know who the guy, except for certain people in this room, know who the guy on the right is? Got any good guesses? The hair could give it away as well, because I had hair then, but don't now, but he, he didn't have any then either. It's this guy right here. It's Don McSween. Don McSween and I go way back, um, and he's always been a bigger man than me. Um, but this was in the middle of one of our um, sketches that we did, and uh, he was a big old tough construction worker. So um, Don and I go way back then to when I was 17 or 18, and we won't say how old he was. But um, the Lord... Uh, a few years ago, kind of wove our stories back together when Brian and his lovely family started attending here, and we got to talking and realized, wait a minute, we grew up in the same church in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then uh, I think I, I was like, your name sounds familiar, and somehow we figured out, or I figured out that his dad was Don McSween, who I knew way back then, and um, i it's crazy. Who neither of us would have believed if somebody told us that all these years later that uh, not only would we be worshiping together in the same church, but that I would get to be your pastor. Yes, that's uh, yeah. a blessing to me. It's a blessing to me, too. 
So as we look at Genesis 5 today, Don is going to help me illustrate some of uh, what we're going to learn from Genesis 5. So every sermon has some explanation of the scripture, it has some illustration, and it has some application. Well, Don's going to help with the illustration and application part of the sermon today. So um, we'll just, he's going to tell us parts of his story. Uh, and this is just something I would love for us to do here more at Mountain Fellowship every now and then is uh, hear more of your stories um, so we can get to know each other better. So uh, let me give some background to Genesis 5 and I'll tell you my three-point sermon. Um, so what Moses is doing with all these genealogies is he's deliberately uh, contrasting the family of the offspring of the serpent and the family of the offspring of the woman, Eve. Remember, back in Genesis 3.15, God cursed the serpent and he gave the first gospel, the first promise of uh, Jesus in that verse. And he said to uh, the serpent that his, uh, the serpent's offspring, his family line, and Eve's family line would be at war with each other uh, from now on. But that one day, one would come from the line of Eve, who would uh, crush the serpent's head, even as the serpent bruised his heel. Um, and we now know on this side of the cross and the empty tomb that that was Jesus he was talking about. Um, but as Moses wrote this, um, he's trying, this is part of what Genesis is doing. It's tracing the family line of the offspring of the woman uh, and pointing us to that ultimate offspring, who is Jesus. So, the Hebrews counted their generations by starting with the, the first one, the father. So, in this case, Adam. And it's interesting that in chapter 4, the seventh from Adam through the line of Cain was this guy named Lamech. A different Lamech than the one we just read about in chapter 5. <clears throat> Lamech, this Lamech was a bad dude. If Cain, if Cain was a bad dude, Lamech uh, had uh, improved upon his skills of, of evil and wickedness. Lamech uh, was the first polygamist, married to women. Um, he confessed that he had killed a young man just because the young man struck him, bruised him, hit him. Um, and then remember that God had put a mark on Cain and had said, if anyone kills Cain... They will, uh, he will be avenged. Um, well, Lamech, in his pride and arrogance, said to his wives, well, if, if Cain's blood is avenged seven times, if he gets killed, mine will be avenged 77 times. So Lamech, is, he's just a bad dude. So this is the seventh from Adam uh, on Cain's side. But, uh, and in that, Moses is showing us how the sin that Adam and Eve brought into the world had gone viral, and it just gotten worse. But God, in his grace, uh, keeping his promise that an offspring of Eve would one day uh, destroy Satan and sin and the suffering they brought into the world, God, in his grace, gave Eve Seth, and Seth's name means appointed. 
And through Seth's family line, the promised serpent crusher would come. Jesus would come. And so the seventh from Adam through Seth's line is this guy, Enoch. And he's described as one who walked with God. Very different description than Lamech. So this morning, I'd like us to consider three marks of a person who walks with God. Three marks of a walking with God life. I'm going to tell you what the three marks are, and then I'm going to talk about the first one for just a minute, and then have Don illustrate it with a story from his life, and we'll do that with each of the points. The, the three marks that I'm gathering from this text on what a walking with God life is. The first one is, a walking with God life is a God-willed life. The second one is a God-with life. And the last one is a God word, W-A-R-D, a God word life, okay? So the first one, a God-willed life. Um, in Genesis 4.25, God appointed Seth to be the son of Eve who would continue the line um, of her seed. And, um, and his name means appointed. And, and so what this teaches us is that God is in complete control of this whole story. <laughs> he promised that he would send someone to reverse the curse um, and um, bring, his, bring his family back into relationship with him. Um, and he's in charge of that. And that's what Moses is showing us in uh, chapter 4 and chapter 5, that uh, God is keeping his promise of redemption and his plan for his family. Nothing will hinder what God will do. This is a God-willed life. And people who, like Enoch, walk with God, understand that God is the one who willed uh, for them to be in the family line of godly people. So I've asked Don if he would just briefly share with us about um, God willing him into God's family uh, and how he came to know Jesus. Thank you. Um, I was raised in Richmond, Virginia. Um, by, my mother was a single, single parent and unfortunately for much of her life suffered uh, under the uh, burden of alcoholism. And so uh, our home life had uh, a lot of inconsistencies about it. But one thing that we consistently did on Sundays, we went to Weber Memorial Baptist Church. And um, when I was young, and in spite of this being over a half century ago, I still remember Mrs. McClary, who taught me uh, Sunday school in uh, all the way up through the fourth grade. And um, then a fellow named Paul Johnson took over a bricklayer that had huge calloused hands uh, and just a love of God and, and wanted to teach boys, uh, fifth grade boys, uh, about God. And these people became, uh, if you want to say, um, heroes or objects that I observed throughout my uh, coming of age. And um, 
people that I wanted to be like. And so I would say to you as adults, uh, there are young people, even if they're not in your family, maybe in this congregation, that see and watch what you do and want to see how you react and how you live life. And they say, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's how it is. And um, so uh, I, I was, gave my life to Christ when I was 12 years old and uh, tried to live that God-willed life. He blessed me um, and just and saved me uh, from that time on. So as you look back on that and as we've talked about your story, um, you, you emphasized with me how amazed you were that God just plucked you out and brought you into his family and brought you to Christ at such a young age. And I came to know Jesus at Calvary at 10, and it was just the circumstances that got our family there to hear the gospel. Um, it's amazing how he does that um, and how he preserves his family and pulls his people in um, it's a God-willed life. And he showed me as I progressed through life uh, aspects, like I said, of what it's like to be in a normal family. Um, and that was the desire of my heart. Uh, I used to watch Leave it to Beaver, if you remember <laughs> that, where they solved all the problems within a half an hour and all together. And I thought that's what family life was going to be like. Well, uh, a little more difficult than that, but um, God showed me those uh, little things in life that uh, inspired me. And then, of course, and I'll talk more later, uh, gave me a wonderful woman, Janet, mm -hmm. uh, that showed me how. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk more about that. The, the second thing that we kind of pull out of this this text is um, what I'm calling the God with life. Uh, obviously, Enoch, it, Moses is purposely highlighting, putting a spotlight on Enoch to show that there's a different way that he lived than everybody else who just lived, fathered some people, and died. Enoch walked with God. And what does that mean? Um, that phrase is used all the way throughout the Bible, even into the Old Testament, I mean, New Testament. When we were in Ephesians, we saw Paul talk about our walk all the time. Um, so the uh, walking with God is a God with life, God with us, us with him. It, it harkens back to Adam and Eve in the cool of the garden, walking with God, fellowshipping with him, doing life with him. And um, that was Enoch. So Don, I, I've asked Don to tell us a little bit about what it's been like for him since he was 12 to walk with God and have God walk with him um, in a couple of different areas. One is in your marriage and family, and then in his vocation, in his work, and then in his suffering. So let's start with, your, start with Janet and your family. Okay, well, uh, I worked for a summer. The Lord brought me to a small town in 
Western North Carolina called Franklin. And uh, I worked there for the Forest Service and through um, three sisters that lived there in that small town that were matchmakers, <laughs> I uh, met Janet my to become my wife. And, um, and I told her, you know, what I wanted in the way of a family. I just didn't know how to get there. Uh, I didn't have the instruction as to how to get there. I just knew what I wanted. God put that, that uh, picture in my life. And through the grace of God, uh, Janet just had all the patience in the world to teach me how to be a good father and how to be a good husband. And uh, for 42 years, and uh, I was still in training. <laughs> and um, so as far as profession is concerned, uh, I was, uh, my grandmother lived in a neighborhood that had a, a lot of old houses and big old trees. And I used to love to climb the trees in her yard. I would climb the cherry tree in the backyard and drop the cherries down to her apron so she could fix cherry pies. <laughs> and, um, uh, and then one day when I was about 12 years old, I heard the sound, this high whining sound coming from down the street. I walked down there and they were taking down a big tree and throwing the branches into a chipper, chipping them up. And I thought that was such a shame. And, at that time, the picture started to develop in my mind that I wanted to do something to help grow trees and make a city a better place for people to live. So uh, eventually, I became city arborist for Charlotte, North Carolina, and worked at that for 33 years and uh, planted several thousand trees, uh, had to remove some. Uh, I had to do a lot of storm cleanup. Um, even Brian went with me on a couple of occasions. Um, and, you know, so uh, that, that I got to do what the Lord showed me. Even at 12 years old, I didn't know what it was, how to do it. Uh, I didn't know how I was going to even get a college education. And, and God brought all that to be. And um, just, you know, I wish I could say every day I served him perfectly, but that, that is far from the case. And uh, fortunately, we have a God that knows us, knows what we will become, knows what he desires of us, what he created us to be, and uh, in spite of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> And let's see, what was Before the other? Before you talk about the third one on suffering. Oh, yes. Let me just. Um, well, um, well here. before you say that, let me say something about being an arborist. So I grew up in this beautiful city that um, Don helped make so pretty. Um, and Charlotte has a reputation for being a, one of the most beautiful cities in the country, particularly because of its trees. Um, and um, this is not to toot your horn, but to say, here's a man walking with God, using the vocation that God has called him into to renew all things. And, you know, if anybody 
gets to be like Adam in the garden, it's dawn. Um, because he's guarding and keeping a literal garden city. Um, and so uh, that, to me, is such a great picture of what he's called all of us to do. You don't have to be the city arborist, but whatever it is that God has given you and gifted you to do in the places he's put you, um, he will use you. Walk with him in that and see yourself as one who's been asked to work and keep the garden in which he's planted you. So that's just such a cool story. And if how many of you have ever been to Charlotte, North Carolina? Not just through the airport, <laughs> but if you've driven around uh, parts of that city, it's beautiful. And uh, the Lord used Don to help it help make it such a, a pretty city. So tell us what it has been like to walk with God in your suffering. Well, over the last um, few years, I've uh, encountered some challenges physically. Um, it all started, I had several back surgeries over the years, and one of those triggered a uh, infection in my bloodstream and uh, almost killed me. Um, and so I went through that. Uh, God blessed me with two wonderful sons and two wonderful daughter-in-laws that, that just helped me through that and through prayer and, um, you know, and, and just day by day, each day coming back, um, uh, at, at one time I couldn't even walk and, uh, now I'm, I'm able to walk. Uh, just praise him for bringing me through that. Uh, and then from that went into um, uh, a case of pneumonia, severe pneumonia. Uh, came through that and then had gallbladder infections. <laughs> kind of listing off all the uh, um, medical things here. As a matter of fact, I had one, one uh, physician to say to me, uh, one day he said, uh, well, you know, you've, the average person, you've encountered uh, something that would have killed the average person three different times. So he said, you have six lives left. <laughs> so, but the Lord has been with me. He brought me to this place, uh, just uh, to a wonderful place to live, to a wonderful fellowship. Uh, with people I love, and uh, goes with me every day. It just amazes me. Yeah, what you told me that those three near-death um, experiences over the last few years uh, changed, changed even, I mean, you were walking with God, you had a relationship with him, but I still, trying to remember how you said it, but there's a sense in which it it intensified your relationship with the Lord and the way you serve him. Can you say a little bit about that? Well, it was, um, it became kind of a thing of, well, all bets are off. You know, I, uh, uh, you could have taken me home three different times and you decided to keep me here. And so, that, that became my prayer is that I would serve you and and glorify God 
and uh, throughout the rest of my life and every, every word I say and every person I have a relationship with. Tell me a little bit about, and I, I didn't necessarily prepare you for this, but I, you'll be all right. Um, tell me a little bit about what your walk with God looks like on a daily basis. What Describe how you walk with him. Well, I'm uh, blessed to have a, a one-bedroom apartment at uh, Alexian Village, and I've uh, converted half of my bedroom into an art studio. I love to do uh, watercolors. And, That's uh, one of them right up there. Um, and I lo- love to just uh, I get absorbed into that. As a matter of fact, that was uh, that Janet had started me into my art. She saw that I had that in, in my uh, uh, interest, and she encouraged me and, and uh, actually got me to take my first watercolor class, and uh, that was over 40 years ago. And so I've been doing that ever since, really enjoying it. Also uh, participate, there's a men's Bible study. We've been studying uh, the book of James. And, uh, uh, of course, it being a uh, uh, Catholic-based organization, I guess you'd say, a lot of the men are uh, Catholic. Some are uh, Protestant. It's just a mixture, and we just have wonderful discussions together about uh, being able to... being able to show our faith through what we do with our lives. Mm-hmm. He's at Alexian. Um, you told me once that you get up and pray something every day. What is that? Well, I just pray every day that uh, I'll be able to serve God, be able to uh, present him that I will be a open conduit of his love and his message to the world that I won't inhibit that message whatsoever with myself. Okay. Now, he's not going to like that I'm going to say this, but let me tell you what that ends up looking like. Every time I've gone to Alexian to visit him, um, and he's walked me around showing me the place, um, he knows everybody's name. I know he says not everybody, but he he makes sure he knows their name. Um, he'll ask them. He'll follow up on things he's been praying about for them. Um, he um, shares his art. He, he taught an art class for a little while over there. Um, so he's just, I've just noticed he's constantly um, being that conduit of the Lord's grace to the people around him. So he's no longer, he's not planting trees anymore, but he's still planting seeds of grace in the gospel in the lives of people, uh, knowing them, praying for them, serving them. Uh, And then there's been times when I've gone over there to see him and he wasn't there, and I ask about him, and everybody knows who he is. And um, the guy who drives the van to take him to doctor's appointments or whatever said, oh, yeah, Mr. Don, I really like him. You know, he prays for me. He asked me, you know, 
what he can pray for me about. And I just, so, just saying, the Lord's answering your prayers to do that, and, and I think that's beautiful. That's a picture of what it looks like to walk with God. And something Don told me about the intense suffering in the three close-to-death times is, because uh, I asked him, I said, what gives you the, the boldness you have to talk to people about Jesus? And he pointed back to those times of suffering where it was the Lord saying, uh, basically convincing him, showing him, everything's life and death. I've given you this life and this breath. Um, tell people about me. And uh, so somehow God used his suffering to give him boldness to tell people about Christ. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Tell you one one little uh, thing, um, my grandson Micah uh, goes to uh, Signal Mountain Christian School, and they had a grandparents' day, and so they were filling out uh, this questionnaire about their grandparent that was going to be there, and then I got to read it later on, and it said uh, one of the questions was, what's, what's your papa's uh, favorite verse? And he said, Psalm 119.71. I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I've never heard of it before. <clears throat> so I quickly looked it up. And it said, I was glad for my suffering that I might learn the precepts of your word. Mm. And, uh, I mean, that's a God thing. Yeah, that, that young man. Uh, blessed me with that. That's beautiful. One last point. A walking with God life is a God word life, W-A-R-D. In other words, um, those who walk by faith in this great God are turned toward him. Um, so whether it's Don or the people in Hebrews 11 who who have all this faith and walk by faith, it's it's... There's something about God that turns them toward him, um, that they're drawn to him. They're um, in awe of him, and they're drawn to him. Um, so I, I have a question for you. This, isn't one of, this again, is a trick question because I didn't give it to you earlier. Um, are you the hero of your story? No, absolutely not. Uh, no way. Uh, God is the the hero of my story yeah. uh, and his love for me. Uh, I uh, try to take time during uh, doing things to just uh, meditate on God and, uh, you know, uh, Galileo, when he had his uh, first observations of the mountains on the moon, you know, uh, through a very uh, difficult uh, telescope, uh, cloudy telescope, and then, and now we have ones that look light years in, into the universe. And I think I think about stuff like that. <laughs> and I think, you know, as far as man has been able to see, there's never a place where it says the end. You know, it's still going. And uh, just by the word of God on day four, 
created all that. Yep. And yet that God loves us, loved Donald McSween. Absolutely. So the, so what we're saying is um, walking with God is a result of being turned Godward because there's something about God. Um, he's the hero. Um, Don and Enoch are, are just, they're turned Godward because there's something about him that attracts them, that awes them and draws them. And for Enoch, and this is, I'm going to wrap this up. Um, you know, wonder, what was it about Enoch? What did he know about God uh, that would awe him and draw him that way? Um, we read through all those genealogies. You know, Adam lived to see the next eight generations. When you start adding up, and you can Google for a timeline of, of Genesis 5, and you'll see it. So Adam was alive when Seth was born, of course, but he was alive until Lamech, a different Lamech than the bad one, um, Lamech, Noah's father. Adam was alive when Noah's father was alive. Um, Adam died just 126 years before Noah was born. Um, and so that means the potential that all of those descendants of Adam that are listed there, including Enoch, knew him. And surely Enoch could have heard firsthand from Adam the story of what happened in the garden. And especially the promise that God gave when he cursed the serpent, that there would be one that comes from your mother Eve's, your great-great-great-whatever, grandmother Eve's line, who would rescue us and fix all this mess and restore us to be able to truly walk in unhindered fellowship with God. Um, when Enoch was taken from the earth, you know, he, was, he didn't die. He was no more. Um, his ancestors, so five gener generations before him uh, who were still alive, knew it happened, and all those generations after him, including us, knew that it happened. Um, two thoughts. Every generation before and after Enoch knew the, promises, the promise of Genesis 3.15, that God would send the serpent crusher um, who would undo, undo what Adam and Eve did. Um, and every generation, secondly, every generation before and after Enoch would see that God could overcome the death that Adam and Eve brought into the world because Enoch never died. God has the power to overcome that death. The devil and death would not have the last word. And they, they saw that in Enoch's life. So was Enoch the hero of that story? Was he the hero they were looking for? No, he wasn't. He was not the promised one. But Enoch points to Jesus, who was the promised one. Um, Jesus would be the greater Enoch who would walk with God throughout his life perfectly, um, who would please God 
as it was said of Enoch. He would please God perfectly. But Jesus was greater than Enoch because um, he would absorb the death that Adam and Eve brought into the world through their sin by taking that sin upon himself. And then he too would escape death. Um, He would escape the grips of death because God would come to take Jesus back from the grave, back to life, and to himself. Um, Jesus is the one to whom we are all turned. Enoch knew that God would send that one one day. We know who he is. Enoch didn't know who he was, but he trusted that God would do that. And that's the kind of God he wanted to walk with and did. And so, thank you, Don, for encouraging us with your story. And I want to invite all of you. Wouldn't you like to know more and more this God that Enoch was turned toward? Wouldn't you like to know him? Wouldn't you like to know this God that would cause Don to be turned toward him and walk with him all of his life through all and, and to come on the other end of his life and his suffering and to say, I love him more than ever. And I want to serve him. Let's continue to pursue that God. Father, thank you for our time together in your word and with our brother and friend, Don. We pray that you would continue to bless him and uh, strengthen his body for your service. Give him uh, grace and the power of your spirit to continue to be that conduit um, of Jesus, both Jesus' words and his work to the people uh, at Alexian and to his family and to our church. Um, Jesus, you're the hero. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen.